So get your Bibles out this morning. Our main text is going to be Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Preaching on the miracles of Jesus. If you were in here as we introduced that series, I encourage you to listen online and get that in your spirit. Jesus did miracles for various reasons. The New Testament records 37 miracles. Now, Jesus did a lot more miracles than that, but those are the ones that are recorded in the New Testament. Uh, I believe 22 of them were healing miracles, so the vast majority of Jesus' miracles were healing sick bodies. Uh, Only four times in the New Testament did Jesus uh, do a miracle where he cast a demon out of somebody. Now, it might seem like as you read the Gospels that it's happening a lot more than that, and certainly Jesus did minister and uh, cast devils out everywhere he went. He healed the sick. But uh, there are four episodes of him doing that, and they're in the Gospels. And we're looking at one of those this morning. It's the miracle where Jesus heals a boy with a demon. And it's covered in three of the four Gospels. So we're going to just thank God for the word this morning. I'm going to bless it. And then we're going to jump into those Gospel accounts of this miracle. We're going to compare and contrast Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and find what God is trying to say to us this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you we can come here and worship you together as your children. Father, we thank you for the miracles of Jesus that are chronicled in the pages of the New Testament for us to experience by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, make these come alive to us this morning and help us to gather the principles and the implications of what Jesus has done here as he shows his complete power and dominion over the realm of darkness. We thank you, Lord God, that we serve a victorious God who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And we are his sons and daughters in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to have Sister Kim uh, read Matthew 17, 14 through 20, gives us the first account of this miracle in the Gospels. A man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, because he has seizures and suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was healed at once. Then the then disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your meager faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Let's hear the same miracle accounted for in Mark nine Mark nine, fourteen through twenty nine. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And wherever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought the boy to him, 
And when he saw them, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Okay, now read the Luke one. Kim's going to earn her lunch today. <laughs> Luke nine thirty-seven to 42. On the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, because he is my only son. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion, with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. So there you have three accounts and three different gospels of the same miracle. We're going to use Mark as our main text because it gives the most detail with 16 verses. Uh, and again, Mark seems to... Uh, catch some of these details, but there are certain ones that are left out, so we're going to inject them into the right places as we need those details. Mark gives us the backdrop for the miracle. He kind of sets it up here. It says here, when he came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd, and so Jesus comes down off the mountain. He comes down, and he sees a large crowd, and what are they doing? And some of them are arguing with the scribes, so there's this little tussle that happens between the scribes and the people in the crowd there, and they're having uh, what the Scripture describes as an argument here. What are they arguing over? They're arguing over theology, or they're arguing over the application of something. We can infer that from the miracle that we're going to see here that perhaps they were arguing about, you know, somebody dealing with the evil spirit or the demonic realm or the, the proper application. Usually the religious people got all excited about, you know, well, you have that because you sinned or you did something wrong or, you know, it's because God is punishing you. So you can count on the fact that the scribes were arguing with the people, you know, over the plausibility of a miracle or what was to be done or what could be done. You know, scribes, their job was to translate scripture from the Old Testament, to take the sacred text from ancient manuscripts and to copy it and to translate it perfectly into different languages to make it very accurate. Scribes by nature were very literate, they were intelligent, and they were detailed-oriented. So they liked, to, they liked to argue and debate about the details. They were experts in exacting the right translation and the right wording for Scripture. So what you've got here is you've got some self-righteous, religious, smarty-pants people, and they're arguing with the commoners. And, and yeah, sounds familiar, right? People who, who think more of themselves than they ought, and they're arguing. Why are they arguing with them? Because how dare the commoners try to apply God's word or understand the scripture? That's not for the simple, lowly people, right? So you got some of this going on here, and that's what Jesus walks into. Now, 
these self-righteous religious know-it-alls, they, they were trying to show how you know, wonderful and how smart they were. And I just want to say something about arguing with people. Now, I know, you know in our day and age where we live with social media, no one argues about anything. Right, Darian? Everybody just agrees with each other. It's so civil online. It's beautiful. There's no vitriol. There's no name-calling. There's no Facebook jail for telling the truth. Come on, second service. Wake up. Right? I mean, arguing is something that, you know, this is what Jesus walks into. He's about to do a miracle, and he walks into the middle of an argument. And I want to say something about arguing. When you're arguing with people who can't even entertain the possibility that they're wrong or that they could learn something from you, you are wasting your time. Amen? There are certain people... There are, and you got to be able to discern this, you know, you, when you look at them and they're just looking at you and you can tell they're never going to listen to you. They could be on fire and you're trying to put them out and they'll fight with you. Let me just dump the bucket on you. No, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm just sweating. I'm not on fire. Some people just will not receive from you. Some people will not listen to you. Some people's pride doesn't allow them to entertain the possibility that they could learn something from you. And let me tell you something, pride is ugly, but spiritual pride is the worst. So don't argue with people who are spiritually proud, who think they know everything, who, who don't even think they could ever learn anything from you because they're above you. You know, if you wrestle with a pig in the mud, both of you will get dirty, but the pig will have a good time. Understand that. I'm talking about discernment here. You know, there are certain people, there are certain comments I type in and I erase and I just pray for the person. I'm like, how many times a day do you do that? You know, correct a fool and invite a beating. Well, good luck with the beating, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, it's just foolish to try and correct them. And here are people arguing about spiritual things. You know, that, that's the worst thing for us. Don't argue with people about spiritual things. Share your testimony with them. Share a scripture with them. Listen to them, but try not to argue. You know, a bulldog could beat a skunk in a fight any day of the week, but it's not worth it. Think about that for a second. You're going to stink when it's done. You know, have you ever gotten to an altercation with somebody? In the, you started off right and righteous, and by the time you were done, you were just as filthy as them. Oh, we all look guilty this morning. Praise God. It's just the flesh. We've all got it. So Jesus walks into a fight, and he's about to do a miracle. And that's the backdrop that we see here. The scribes are really full of themselves. They, they think they know everything. And... Jesus walks down and he says in verse 16, what are you disputing with them? So he, he knows it's an argument. He knows what they're disputing. But, you know, he kind of asks them, what, what, are you, what are you fighting about, guys? And the answer that he gets from the crowd sets the stage for the miracle. And this miracle is going to show Jesus' complete authority over the demonic realm. Jesus shows his authority over the wind and the rain, over nature, over sickness. He, he, you know, he heals people. He stills storms. This miracle is going to show his complete dominion and authority over the kingdom of darkness. Jesus and the devil are not equal. There are some Eastern philosophies and religions and the yin and the yang, and they show that darkness and light are equal. Listen to me. Darkness and light are not equal. The enemy is defeated. Jesus broke the power of sin on the cross, and the blood of Jesus has remedied the, the, the problem of sin. 
we, we fight a defeated enemy. We need to learn to take authority. Jesus shows us he has that authority, and in kind, he passes that on to those who believe in him. Now, the man speaks up in the crowd in verse 17 and 18, and he uses this opportunity where Jesus inquires, you know, what are you arguing about? He uses it as a segue to bring his son before the Lord. He says, and one of the crowd answered him, verse 17, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and he stiffens up. So it's a dire situation. This man unpacks it and throws it right at Jesus' feet there. He walks into a fight, but he gets, you know, a prayer request here. And the man is sharing with Jesus what he considers an impossible situation. Have you ever been in a situation that you felt, you know, you're a fish out of water in it, you don't understand it, it's bigger than you, you don't know how to deal with it, and to you it seems impossible? With those impossible situations, come to Jesus. Amen? And this man does. In fact, he wasn't coming to the scribes. He wasn't even coming to the disciples. What he says here is, teacher, I brought you my son. And I want you to see that here today. There are many times where, you know, we, we bring our problems to everybody uh, but Jesus. And this guy's saying, no, I, I didn't bring him to the scribes. I didn't bring him to your disciples, although they, they gave it a shot, swing and a miss. Uh, I brought him to you. And this is what we've got to get here. Anytime we need a miracle, regardless of who we come to, you come to this altar, you come to this church, you come to the pastors to pray for you. Look, look, our church denomination doesn't heal the sick. Our, this altar is not magic. It doesn't heal the sick. It's not the pastors who pray in faith who heal the sick. You bring your issue to Jesus. He's the one who has your miracle, Amen. I've had people come to me for prayer, and I pray for them, and they come back, oh, after you prayed for me, everything went right, I got healed, and, and you know, that wasn't me, that was Jesus. Don't ever ascribe miracles to men or to ministries. Oh, I got to get to this ministry. Now, some people have special giftings for healing and the working of miracles. That's a spiritual gift. I'm not discounting that. But I'm saying what's behind it is we always bring, you, you know, our issue to Jesus, and he's the one who heals us. So the man's got the right heart. I brought my son to you. Now, understand the emotional connection here. There's a father and a son, and that's a deep emotional connection. There's so much said about, you know, a mother's love, and many times, the, you know, the fathers just kind of get pushed aside in our society, and it's true. Some days, nobody loves you but your mama, okay? I'm telling you. Your father's listing you on eBay, and your mom's making you a soup, okay? That's just the way it goes. But there's something to be said for a father's love here, a father and a son. You know, uh, I have two sons. I'm blessed with sons. I love my sons. I do anything for my sons. And that's the emotional connection that's here. Yeah, it's a spiritual issue, but it's a, a father with his son. Listen, any godly father would gladly suffer in place of his children. If you're a godly man and you're the head of your house and you're the spiritual priest in the home and you see your spouse suffer or your children suffer, any godly man would gladly take their place. And this guy watched his son go through some horrific things and you know he, he has a heart for his boy as he, as he sought out Jesus and brought him there and he would have gladly taken his son's place in this but that wasn't possible. So the only possibility was to get him to Jesus. 
Now, he lists the reason why. You know, well, why'd you bring him to me? Because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. This attack on the boy's life was multi-pronged here. It gave him seizures. Uh, it, it made him mute. You know, it was demonic in the sense that it was trying to destroy him. Some of the gospel accounts talk about the fact that the spirit would try to throw him into the fire or into the water. Can you imagine? I mean, it's hard enough watching kids when, when they don't have an issue like this, right? They're trying to stick things in the electric socket. They're trying to, you know, jump in the pool. Hello, and now you're a dad and you got a kid who's, I mean, you can't, can you take your eyes off him? Wow, what a burden. What a situation. What a heavy thing that this guy's carried. You know, he's unable to speak. He's possessed. He's tormented by something demonic. You know, the stress of dealing with unseen spiritual forces is, is bigger than almost anything you could deal with. Why? Because those things are hard to understand, and they're even harder to combat. This guy didn't know what to do for his boy. And I want you to see the, the emotional connection and the hopelessness of the situation. And, you know, this guy has no recourse, much like the woman with the issue of blood. Thought he was out of options until Jesus showed up. And he brings the boy to Jesus. Verse 18, he tells him how, how the manifestation takes place. It seizes him. It slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth, and he becomes stiff. I mean, think about that description. You know, some of you have seen that maybe when you try to take your video games away from your kids or something. <laughs> take their phone away for 15 minutes, right? It's a serious situation. It's a serious manifestation, slamming him to the ground. I mean, this, this spirit physically mauls the child, and it's a horrific thing, I mean, for any parent to watch. If you put yourself in this man's spot, you could understand why he's crying out, why he's getting loud in the crowd, why he's using this opportunity to see what Jesus could do for him. Now, it gets a little dicey here as he continues to speak because what happens is the disciples get thrown under the bus for their inability to solve the issue here. He says here, now realize this guy's not pulling any punches. He's desperate. I told your disciples so they could cast it out, but they could not do it. This is an ouch moment for Jesus' disciples, amen? All of us, you know, are expected to wield some level of spiritual power and authority. These were the men who were with Jesus, and yet they did not have the ability to deal with this situation. The, the demon had bested them in their attempts to cast it out. And, it, and all of this was uncovered you know, by the man in front of the crowd. Now, this is an embarrassing moment for them. They're embarrassed. And I want you to notice something. Jesus is irritated. And, and this, you know, we can't gloss over this. We got to find out. Anytime Jesus who is loving and kind and gracious and merciful. Anytime Jesus is irritated, we better figure out why. There's some people, if you make some people mad, you really messed up. Anybody? Some people don't get mad easy. I remember growing up, if we made, my dad was pretty laid back. If we made him mad, we really messed up. Okay, it was a bad time in the Leonardi house that night. So Jesus, his response here, you know, he's irritated and the the 
the disciples, you know, they've been exposed and they're a little embarrassed. His response in verse 19 is a rare instance of him becoming just a little bit unhinged. The way he speaks here, uh, the only other time I could say where Jesus was in this demeanor was when he overturned the money changers' tables and he made a whip and he cleansed the temple. But that had to do with fulfilling prophecy, zeal for my house, your, you know, God's house has consumed me. So this is just, you know, a situation that is irritating to me. He answers and he says to them, oh, unbelieving generation. In one version, he said, oh, perverse generation. How would you like that to be the description of your generation? You unbelieving, perverse perverts. How long shall I be with you? I can't even stand being with you. Uh, How long shall I put up with you? Go away. I don't even want to see you right now. Ouch. Most of us don't like to think about Jesus like this. You mean Jesus can get irritated? Absolutely. If you didn't know you could irritate Jesus, you probably do it all the time. (laughs) What irritates him is not, you know, our weakness or our foolishness as much as our lack of faith. And Jesus is irritated. Oh, perverse generation. Oh, unbelieving. There it is, lack of faith. How long shall I put up with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And I bet you he didn't say, bring him to me. I bet you had a little attitude on that. Little bite. Bring him to me. And he looks at the disciples. Jesus is frustrated by two things in this situation, and I want to explore them with you this morning. The first thing he's frustrated with is the constant lack of faith he finds in the generation. This is frustrating to him. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He was born of a virgin. He's walking in, 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 in the power that, you know, this resurrection power, before he's even dead and resurrected, he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out devils. And people still don't believe. You know, what more could he do to make people believe? And I see the frustration here is that his own received him not and that the, the, the religious people constantly are at odds with him and that the generation that's watching these signs and wonders that have never been performed at this level or this magnitude and they still don't believe. That constant lack of faith irritated Jesus. It irritated him when he saw it in his followers. It irritated him when he saw it in the generation. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We have to understand that what pleases God is faith. Yet our flesh doesn't want faith. Why? Because we don't, we don't earn faith, or we don't garner faith, or we don't deserve faith. We try to please God with our works, with our achievements, and our sacrifices. That's what the flesh does. That's what religion does. Oh, God, look at all the good stuff I did. Oh, God, look at all the things I've achieved. <laughs> Some of us, even in the church, are such self-promoters. It nauseates me. I see ministers who are self-promoters. I, I can't, I don't promote myself. And I just don't have a stomach for it. I don't understand how people do. But some people are just all, oh, look what I did and look what I've done. And I went on a mission field and I was Jesus Jr. And I, I, I had two less miracles than Jesus on one trip. 
I mean, I've heard stuff like this. And I know you have too, Pastor Mike. It's not our works. It's not our achievements. It's not even our sacrifices. If you give your body to be burned and have not love, what good is it? So it's faith. Uh, We have to give God what he really wants from us. It's not our works. It's not our achievements. It's not our sacrifices. It's faith. God wants us to hear his word and believe it to cast aside doubt and unbelief. Amen. Are you wanting to give God what he wants from you? He wants faith. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, what a great title, points out that man has always struggled to receive God's grace by faith. He says, by instinct, we feel we must do something to be accepted by God. Grace is a startling contradiction, a liberation to us that we must pray to receive its ability every day. Eugene Peterson points out a contrast between two fourth century theological opponents, St. Augustine and Pelagius. Many of us have heard of St. Augustine. His rival was Pelagius. Pelagius was a courteous, intellectual, convincing person, and he was well-liked by everyone. Augustine squandered his uh, youth and immorality. He had a strange relationship with his mother, and he made a lot of enemies. Yet Augustine, who started off far from God's grace, passionately pursued God and got it right. Where Pelagius started off with human affirmation, counted on his own methodical good works to please God, and he got it wrong. Peterson goes on to say that Christians tend to be Augustinian in theory, but Pelagian in practice. What does that mean? Oh yeah, I know it's all by grace. I know we don't have to earn it, but look at all the good things that I've done. Come on, that's us. Oh, I know it's grace, pastor, but look at my resume of good works. Augustinian in theory, Pelagian in practice. Too many of us of us are trying to please God obsessively with the things that we do when all he's looking from from us is to have faith, to hear him and believe him, to receive what he says by faith and not have to sift it through our own filters and see if we want to accept that or not or try and do it ourselves. It's faith that allows us to enjoy God's love. It's faith that allows us to be accepted by heaven. It's faith that puts our name in the Lamb's book of life. It's faith that allows us to enjoy the free gift of salvation. You don't have to earn it. We'll never deserve it. Just receive it by faith. It's grace. Amen. The generation didn't have faith. They didn't see God's grace standing right before them. The the religious power brokers argued with Jesus and the disciples doubted the things that he said. His own received him not. And so he was frustrated with the lack of faith that he found. The second thing that frustrated Jesus is this, the lack of spiritual power he found in his disciples. And that frustrated him. You and I as believers are not defeated, we are victorious in Jesus Christ. You and I as believers are the head and not the tail. We are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are heirs of salvation, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, amen. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I'm gonna keep going till we get some faith rolling here, amen. 
You're not defeated. You're not broken. You're not rejected. You're not an outcast. You are part of the fellowship of the unashamed, the Bible says. Part of the family of God. Amen. Woo! <laughs> I don't care about you. I'm going to be saved this morning. Jesus looked at his disciples, and they were constantly, you know, second-guessing him, not believing him, not listening to what he said. And, and then when it came to exerting spiritual power and authority, they, they dropped the ball, and it frustrated him. You know, a lack of spiritual power plagues the lukewarm church. When you stop believing what the word of God says, when you say, you know, well, miracles died out with the, the 12 disciples, when you say, oh, we don't have any ability to have healing, or there are no miracles, or you, you can't lay hands on the sick and see them recover, and you can't speak in tongues, and you can't, listen, when, when, when you're in churches where all they tell you is you can't anymore, it destroys the faith of the people. And then that lukewarm situation, you know what Jesus said about the lukewarm church? You're neither hot nor cold in the book of Revelation. Because you're neither hot and cold, I I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Talk about frustration. He's saying, your lack of faith, your lack of spiritual authority makes me nauseous to the point where I'm going to puke. That's the new Rick version, the NRV. <laughs> A lack of spiritual power plagued the lukewarm church today. It still, it does. And it plagued the spiritual hypocrites of Jesus' day. I want you to listen to a, a proverb this morning. Proverbs 25, 14. If you're taking notes, write that down. Proverbs 25, 14 says this. Like clouds and wind without rain is a person who boasts of his gift falsely. I want you to listen to that. Like clouds and wind without rain is a person who boasts of his gifts falsely. That means they project that they have a gift or an ability or they can do something for you and they're just, it's just a show. They're just pretending. Like clouds and wind without rain. What's the meaning of that word picture? Clouds and wind without rain mean this. It's a picture of projecting a false hope to those who are desperately in need. You see, if you need rain and the sky clouds up and it turns dark and it gets windy, it looks like it's gonna rain, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, we need this rain. We're so dry. We got no water. Our crops aren't growing. We need the rain. And the, and the clouds and the wind pass by and not a drop falls from the sky. So it pretends or it seems as if it's going to rain, but in the end, it produces nothing. Listen to me. Spiritual leaders, churches, or people who claim to be Christians should actually have the spiritual power necessary to deliver the lost. If you come into a church and it doesn't have any power to, to bring the gospel, to, to offer salvation, to bring conviction, and to bring salvation, you need to turn around and get out of there. I know a lot of people are moving and leaving New York as fast as they can. It seems like every Sunday somebody comes up to me and says goodbye. And where you're going, find a church that preaches the word, that believes in the power of God, that believes in the move of the Holy Spirit, amen? If you find yourself in a dead church where they're telling you you can't and it doesn't and no more, listen, turn around and walk out and try again. 
We have churches that produce no conversions and sermons that bring no convictions and denominations that make no disciples and ministries that produce no deliverance and Christians that don't reproduce themselves spiritually. And Jesus is saying, clouds without rain. It frustrates him. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you led somebody to the Lord? When was the last time you brought somebody to church to hear this magnificent preacher rightly divide the road? <laughs> I was just kidding about that. But, but bring them. I'll, I'll try not to embarrass you. You know, you ever bring somebody to church, and that's the day the preacher's talking about casting devils out of people. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Sermons that don't produce any conviction. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. I start off every Monday, Lord, how can I offend everybody? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Because I'm telling you what, oh, you only got to listen to it for 35 minutes. I got to wrestle with this all week. And by the time I get here, listen, I got worked over too. So people come up to me after service and, man, you were really beating me up today. Don't blame it on me. The same Holy Spirit beat on me all week. Amen. But like, how could we, no conviction, no, no conversion. Jesus is frustrated by that. It's that lukewarm church in the book of Revelation that frustrates him, that to the point where it nauseates him. And we have to, you know, have churches that produce conversion and messages that bring conviction and all of that. And I'm glad that we have a measure of that here. And I believe there's more. And, and I want to see God do that by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, while admittedly this was a difficult case here, I want to be too hard on the disciples because, you know, uh, it was a difficult case for them to, to, you know, deal with this spirit. In fact, Jesus pulls them aside. Well, actually, they say, you know, why couldn't we cast it out later? We're going to talk about that down the line. And Jesus shows them some things that they needed to do. And admittedly, you know, this was a difficult case. But, you know, bottom line was when this guy, you know, threw them under the bus and blew up the spot in the crowd, they were embarrassed. I brought him to your disciples. Swing and a miss. The truth is that all of us who are mature believers should wield the spiritual power and authority that is needed to discern and overcome the demonic realm. Listen to me. The devil is a defeated foe. I've said it already. You and I, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You don't have to walk around being scared of the kingdom of darkness. Amen. You and I should have the spiritual authority to deal with it. Now, in my ministry, over the decades of dealing with people and counseling, and even in church services when I was young here, we had some demonic manifestations. And listen to me. Every time the devil pops his head up, the spirit of God rises up in people. Some of you, oh, I'm scared of that. That's only for trained professionals. Listen, you watch too much movie. You watching too many horror movies. Head spinning around, spitting out, you know, green soup. No. In Jesus' name, come out, and they come out. Okay, now, I'm not telling you to look for the devil everywhere. You know, oh, anyone who's sick, it's a devil. And anyone who has a seizure, it's the devil. No, sometimes it's just sickness. Sometimes it's mental illness. But there are times where it is demonic. And you and I need to be able to discern it and to deal with it, not be scared and run away, not to, you know, strike out and, and, and show that the church has no power. The truth is all believers should wield that power and have power over the realm of darkness. Now, I think a lot of believers have forgotten that, 
and, and don't want to think about it, but the truth is we've been given dominion. Listen to Luke 10, 19. Behold, Jesus speaking, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. Does that sound pretty good? All power, all authority, all dominion, and it's not going to hurt you. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Matthew 16, 17 through 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and drink any deadly thing, and it will not hurt them. That, that's the one we need to talk about. Don't be playing with snakes and drinking strychnine, okay? And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. What's the first thing Jesus said would, would a sign that would follow those that believe? They'll cast out devils. That's quiet now. Everybody's like. <laughs> now, I'm not saying go look for the devil, but I'm telling you not to be scared of the devil. And I'm telling you to use your spiritual authority. If you got the enemy attacking your marriage, attacking your children, attacking your home, you take authority over that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says to take the, that to anoint the sick with oil and to pray the prayer of faith, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. You got olive oil at home. I've been to your house. I had your food. Get your oil out. Put it on your kid. Rebuke a fever. Rebuke sickness in Jesus' name, and watch God move. Amen. <laughs> we always pray before we take the aspirin. Some of us, it's in Tylenol we trust. Amen. In the name of Advil, come out and He's our healer. And you've got the authority. We sang it this morning about our spiritual authority. Anybody notice that? Exercise it. It frustrates Jesus when his people are, are just standing there not knowing what to do when he's given us authority uh, to tread over serpents and scorpions, all the power of the enemy. These signs shall follow them that believe. Listen, I'm going to close this message with this. There's only one prerequisite for locking horns with the kingdom of darkness. We must be born again and in right relationship with Jesus. If you're not a Christian, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, then you shouldn't lock horns with the kingdom of darkness. If you're not born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and you mess with the devil, he'll show you who you ain't. Okay, because without the blood of Jesus, we're no match for him. He's smarter than us. He knows the word better than us. He even has the audacity to quote scripture to Jesus. Quoting the word to the word. Nice try. But if you're a Christian and you're born again and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're in right relationship with God, you're not in sin, you're not in adultery, you're not in pornography. Listen to me. You got to be right with God and walking with Jesus. And if you are, you have the authority that the scripture says you have. But if, you, if you're not, you better call somebody else. Acts 19, 13 through 16 gives us an episode of some people who tried to exercise authority over the kingdom of darkness and were not connected to Jesus. Listen to Acts 19, 13. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, listen to what they said, I order you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. <laughs> Verse 14, now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. 
But the evil spirit responded to them. So I want you to get this. They, they come in there. There's someone who has a demonic issue. They say, in Jesus, in the name of who Paul preaches. And this is what the spirit says. But the evil res- spirit responded to them. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> Just a sidebar here. If a devil ever says to you, who are you? Start running. Get the pastor, get the elders, get away, because this is what happened here. I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was pounced on them and subdued all of them, overpowering them, so that they fled out of the house naked and bloody. This is my favorite story. That Jesus, that Jesus in whom Paul preaches, it tells, I, I don't, that's not how it works. And he gives them all a beating, beats them bloody and sends them out scream, screaming, running naked through the streets. If you're in Christ and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the authority that the Bible says you have. If you're not, don't mess with the kingdom of darkness. I, I would encourage you to get saved immediately. <laughs> God, we understand that many of these things are foreign to us and strange to us. But Father, we don't want to frustrate you by our lack of faith or by our lack of spiritual authority. Father, you've saved us not so we could remain helpless and be babies, but so that you could produce maturity in us, that we would be mature disciples who take authority over the kingdom of darkness, that have enough spiritual power to preach the gospel and to see the lost come to the light and be saved. Father, help us to push back the forces of darkness, the gates of hell that, that attack our communities and our homes and our nation. Lord, there's darkness everywhere. Allow your people to move in faith and to use spiritual power. Father, if there's sin in our lives, we repent of it. And we ask you to grant us the gift of repentance and to use us for your kingdom glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.